you can almost feel it. The days are getting shorter and the nights are getting cooler. Fall is just about here. And this could be one of those rare Octobers where the Sox and the Bears are playing at the same time. See, the NFL season is starting, and Bears fans are excited to see Justin Fields, the team's new rookie quarterback. Throwback. Fields has Jesse James. Back pedals in. Fields with a touchdown, and the Bears take the lead. And the Sox? Barring some kind of historic implosion, they'll be in the playoffs for the first time in 13 years. Two and one to Mercedes. And your meat tattoos this ball. Oh, where is it going to land? Bring him home. I'm Araceli Gomez-Saldana. You might have heard me on WBEZ reporting and hosting. But when the Curious City team said, hey, how'd you like to work on a few stories with us? Well, I jumped at the chance. Number one, because I love answering questions from listeners like you. And number two, they told me I could talk about sports and do a story on the Bears. And let's just say I'm a huge fan. And look, even if you're not a sports fan, you're going to learn some interesting things about the city's history on this week's episode. First, we're dipping back into the archives to revisit a question about the White Sox uniform. If I couldn't make the White Sox win, at least I would try to make them look like winners. Producer Jesse Dukes dug into that story for us. Then, I'll tell you how the Bears got their nickname, the Monsters of the Midway. (whistles) Stick with us because we'll kick off this all-sports edition next. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. The movie Straight Outta Compton about the rap group N.W.A. was a big hit. Yo, 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 hold up. Who the f*** is this guy? Oh, my bad, Shig. This the homie Snoop. Snoop D-O-double-G, cuh. Who you? What? What? But this week's questioner read about a mistake in the film. The movie starts in 1986 with the rapper Eazy-E wearing a White Sox hat. But that hat didn't exist back then. You've probably seen the hat. Black with the word socks, written in white letters in an old English font diagonally across the front. That hat and logo weren't unveiled until 1990. Chris was surprised. He thought that hat was a lot older. I thought that kind of design and old English font, that I thought it was a a logo that might have been, you know, from the classic age of baseball, maybe, you know, pre-1950, so to speak. Now, Chris isn't a huge baseball fan but he is fascinated by the intense rivalry between the White Sox and Cubs, and he's interested in design. So he wants to know where that White Sox logo came from, like who designed it. It turns out a baseball team's uniform is actually really important. Teams make millions of dollars from merchandise sales every year, and a uniform is also part of a team's branding, part of how they get fans into the stadium and secure advertising and broadcasting deals. And... Uniform changes are usually done, particularly after a pretty woeful season, sagging attendance, bad play. That's White Sox historian Rich Limbert. He points out the White Sox have often struggled with branding and getting fans into the stadium. 
So they've redesigned their uniform more than any baseball team in the 20th century. But the current uniform with that diagonal SOX logo has been in place for 31 years. That's a franchise record. So how did they finally hit upon a winner? According to Lindbergh, the current SOX logo dates back to 1948. That year, White Sox owner Grace Comiskey appointed her son Chuck Comiskey, vice president of operations. He was only 22. Enormous responsibility is put upon him to take a bad ball club, finish last, and to do something with it. Comiskey later told Lindbergh he didn't really know how to run a baseball team. He said to me, if I couldn't make the White Sox win, at least I would try to make them look like winners. Comiskey copied the baseball team best known for winning, the New York Yankees. It's a dignified, conservative, button-down look. The Yankees had dark pinstripes and an old English NY on their chest. So Chuck Comiskey designed a uniform with black pinstripes and an old English SOX on the chest, similar to the current design, but with red highlights. So, one answer to our question, Chuck Comiskey, a young, inexperienced baseball exec, designed that diagonal SOX logo. The design lasted for nearly three decades and survived three different owners, but it did not survive the 70s. That's when Bill Veck took control of the team. Veck was famous for promotions like the so-called Exploding Scoreboard and Disco Demolition Night. Veck didn't like the uniform and decided that he would design his own uniform. But what emerged was a shocking variation on tradition. If Chuck Comiskey's 1951 uniform suggested dignity and conservatism, the uniforms Vec unveiled in 1976 suggested gold chains and protruding chest hair. They featured a floppy black collar, black clam digger pants, and they even had a shorts option. The Vec uniforms, in my mind, had no dignity, and they left Sox fans open for ridicule. The pinstripes and diagonal SOX were gone. So who brought that back? When somebody walked by me with a hat, even up here in Wisconsin, I resist the temptation to go, hey, that's my hat. Rob Gallus is the former senior vice president of marketing and sales for the White Sox. When he was hired in 1989, the White Sox were once again struggling. Not only were they losing games, they had low attendance. The team had cycled through three uniform designs since 1976. So Gallus says he started from scratch with a scientific approach. They hired design firms, marketing firms, and did their own fan surveys. My director of marketing, Mike Busick, he took prototypes of uniforms to neighborhood parties and got opinions on what the fans liked. Turns out they liked dark pinstripes on a white background, which the White Sox had in the 1950s and 60s. And they liked that old English-style SOX logo of the same period. So Gallus decided to bring that back, but he wanted a uniform that would appeal to a younger and more diverse fan base. And we talked to more designers who told us that both silver and black were going to be the hot colors of the 90s. Turned out they were very, very correct. Yep, the new uniform, unveiled in 1990 for the 91 season, took the pinstripes and diagonal SOX from the 50s and combined it with a very 90s silver and black, popular with gangster rappers. Like Dr. Dre, who famously wore the Sox hat in his videos. 
that black hat with the diagonal SOX got hot. In 1989, the White Sox sold $250,000 in park merchandise sale. Two years later, after the new hats, we sold $4.5 million. More importantly, with help from a new stadium and talented young team, attendance soared from about a million in 1989 to nearly three million in 1991. So, to hear Rob Gallus tell it, the 1991 White Sox uniform was a product of a careful, research-driven marketing campaign that combined nostalgic elements with 90s aesthetics. But White Sox historian Rich Lindbergh sees it a little differently. It was a no-brainer. It was what everybody wanted. Uh, there was no mystery about it. Lindbergh says he spent a lot of time listening to the fans in the ballparks in the 70s and 80s. And... I don't really think anybody needed to do a marketing study, though I understand the purpose of it, and Rob certainly did a great job in recognizing that. But if you put your finger on the pulse of White Sox fans, people who take the subway, the L, and who park out and do tailgating, uh, this is what they were saying, and they had been saying it for a number of years. In any case, the redesign with the diagonal SOX has lasted with slight variations for 31 years now. With the current team hotter than they've been since the 2005 World Series win, Sox merchandise is flying off the shelves. Brooks Boyer, the senior VP in charge of marketing for the team, says the companies that make the jerseys, they haven't been able to keep up with the demand. Even the special jerseys created this year, featuring the word Southside in that classic old English font, sold out. And Boyer tells me they have no plans to change the uniforms. And now I'm living in correctional facilities. Cause some don't agree with how I do this. I get straight medicine. Thanks to Jesse Dukes for that reporting. Coming up, the Bears have never played an official game on the South Side, yet the team's nickname is directly linked to that part of the city. We'll find out why next. Walter Payton becomes the National Football League all-time leading rusher, surpassing Jim Brown, and that's the equivalent to Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. And listen to the standing ovation. This week, the NFL is gearing up for the start of their 102nd season. And this year, fans like me are returning to Soldier Field, the home of the Chicago Bears. The Bears are known as the Monsters of the Midway, a nickname they've had since the 1940s. At games, you'll hear announcers use it, fans use it, it's on flags, and it's even been written into songs. They're the Monsters of the Midway, rolling across the USA. Every nickname in professional sports has an origin story. And one of our listeners, Rick Mullen, had a question about this one. How did the Chicago Bears get the name Monsters of the Midway? I called WBEZ's sports contributor, Cheryl Ray Stout, to help me out. She's covered the Bears for decades. And she took me to a part of the city where the nickname was born. I started by running a list of theories by her. Some people believe, Cheryl, that it's because of Midway Airport. It has nothing to do with Midway Airport. Some people might think that maybe, hey, it's the Midwest, the Midwest region. Maybe that's why they're known as the Monsters of the Midway. 
has nothing to do with the Midwest at all. We're not at Soldier Field and we're not at Wrigley Field, once the original home stadium for the Bears. Cheryl and I are actually in Hyde Park. And it turns out the Bears weren't the original Monsters of the Midway. We are on the campus of University of Chicago, where actually their football team during the 1890s till 1939 were known as the Monsters of the Midway. And we are on the Midway that is called Playsense. And this is where the name came from. Cheryl's talking about the Midway Plaisance, which was created for Chicago's 1839 World Columbian Exposition. It's a mile-long green space connecting Washington Park at its west end and Jackson Park at its east. And it was home to the UFC football team. Their coach was a legendary Amos Alonzo Stagg, and they dominated college football. But in 1939, UFC got rid of their football team. They brought it back years later, but at the time, the university's president said they wanted to focus on academics. And that was perfect timing for the Bears, because they won six championships in the 1930s and 40s. And some local sports writers felt this winning team needed a winning nickname. They began to call them the Monsters of the Midway. At their peak, the Bears were unstoppable, thanks to coach and owner George Stanley Hallis Sr., a.k.a. Papa Bear. Every great Bears team since the 1940s has been given the nickname, including the 85 Super Bowl champs. Walter Payton, Mike Ditka, Hungry Chicago, finally champions on this January day in New Orleans. When you're around the players and they have something like that, a nickname, they love it because it kind of fortifies who they are and what they are. And the fans like it too. They like to get the t-shirts. They like to, you know, you have the phrases. They like to have songs. They like to have hats, anything to connect themselves. When you're wearing that moniker, Monsters of the Midway, you're part of that team. Now that we know the nickname is borrowed, I check back in with our question asker, Rick Mullen. I don't think they deserve to be the Monsters of the Midway. That should be the University of Chicago. I'm surprised the University of Chicago hasn't been complaining about it. But anyway, maybe they don't care. Maybe they don't. But Bears fans like me, we keep it alive. They're the monsters of the Midway, rolling across the USA. All right, as they say, the clock has run out, and it's time to blow this whistle. <coughs> Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Joe Dassault and Jason Mark produced the show. Maggie Civit is our digital and engagement producer, and Sophia Lowe is our intern. Alexandra Solomon edits the show. But we can't make this podcast without you. What questions do you have about sports or anything else about Chicago's history and culture? Send them our way at wbez.org slash Curious City. I'm reporter Araceli Gomez-Aldana. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet you back here next week. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown podcast has all of that and it's Chicago based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown.